Yo, what's good, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique Podcast on the Fight Side Podcast Network with myself, your host, Silas Mayan, and my co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds. And today, we are in between two pretty fucking good UFC cards. Uh, first, looking back at UFC 285, uh, the big story, of course, the return of John Jones. But who cares? That was lame and stupid. And there's... Uh, on both cards, a bunch of actually cool and good fights that I'm interested to get into. So let's just get straight on into it. Yeah, John Jones is the heavyweight champion of the world now. I really feel dumb for all of my criticisms of his game and doubts about where he's at uh, physically and technically at this point in his career. I just do feel dumb for giving Cyril Garn any credit at all because he shit the bed and he has a small dick. Yeah, I think. Uh... I think Gon, more so than his grappling deficiencies, just had a terrible performance. He, he really seemed like Megan Anderson versus Amanda Nunez, where one fighter is just terrified of a long-reigning champion. And even though John isn't the long-reigning champion, he just has an aura about him that Gon, I assume, also like kind of leans into or believes in. Uh, which, if I mean, it was a great performance by by John relative to what i was expecting because i was yeah, relative to his last three performances yeah he actually was like aggressive initially and urgent and like took the victory when it had like an opportunity to come out so good on him for that he hasn't finished anyone in a while yes yeah, so that's the thing it does seem like it must it must have just been a, a massive shitting of the bed moment uh, on on garn's part to just get instantly murderized by, you know, an even older version of the John, the John Jones who couldn't do that to Anthony Smith or Tiago Santos. Yeah, the, it the was, only was weird for those reasons, right? Yeah, the only defense that Gon put up was kicking Jones in the balls in the first eight seconds. Oh, that was really uh, funny. I forgot about that. That was so cool. Yeah, that was funny. But I, I think that this fight also just kind of goes to show, like. Light heavyweight is not behind heavyweight. I think basically anyone that's currently successful at light heavyweight could go up to heavyweight and be perfectly fine and like at least top 10. No, I mean, it's like heavyweight is really quite a lot worse. And um, it's so much worse than light heavyweight. It is the perfect time for John Jones to be going up to heavyweight because, um, to be real, I think he would get absolutely smoked by Jamal Hill right now. And um, Francis Ngannou got fired. Cyril Garn, exactly the kind of prospect who's able to make it to this kind of level of the sport while having massive deficiency, deficiencies in his game because he does a few things that heavyweights aren't ready to deal with and he's really fucking athletic. And then uh, he's, John Jones is probably going to fight Stipe now. He's probably going to win because Stipe's shot and never fights anymore. Uh, DC is retired. Alistair Overeem has aged out. And is is now going to be glory kickboxing champion. I mean, you mean is glory kickboxing champion? Basically, yeah. Um, so what? I mean, John Jones is going to fight Sergey Pavlovich. I, I think that there's like three fights that are actually kind of hard for John Jones. And it's Sergey Pavlovich, Curtis Blades, um, Tom Aspinall, I, arguably Curtis Blades. I think I was going to say Taito Ivasa. Uh, just on the fact that he will throw a low kick and he's not as uh, he's not going to break like before the fight starts like Gon is 
which we didn't we couldn't have known that of Gon because Gon he didn't look good against Nganu, but he at least tried. And then this fight, he just he looked like he wanted the fight to just happen and and give him a win without actually ha- like being prepared to do that. So it was a it was a really bad performance by Gon. I think he is an incredibly incredibly wide puddle. Like he has a lot of surface layer tools at his disposal, but his actual application of them is incredibly shallow. He kind of just doesn't know how to mix his offense into like a strategy at all. He's just, oh, in the moment, I should throw this low kick. I should throw this sidekick. But he can't kind of gauge his opponent's ability to react to that in the way that John Jones is, of course, going to figure out he's one of the most experienced fighters in the sport, uh, especially it, it, let alone the division. Like he, he goes from having as much championship experience as someone can or has ever had in MMA to, to fighting a guy that's like 10 and 0 or like 10 and one. Uh, and has his only actual fight that showed anything was him getting uh, out wrestled by a striker that had no knees. So I I still like Cyril Gon, uh, whenever he's not fighting someone decent. Like I think his game is fun to look at, but he, we need to just acknowledge he's really not deep, and he's probably not going to become deep. He he just has a a part of the fight that he can thrive in, which is if one of his really important tools uh just lands and then his opponent's stunned, he can kind of flow a little bit with it, like the Taitubasa finish, or you know the Junior Dos Santos finish. Really anything where he's he's gone out to get the fight ended. But if you give him a real fight like John Jones or Francis Ngannou, he crumbles under the pressure. He, he's not ready for it at best, and uh, at worst, he might never get there. Yeah, that's the thing. Cyril Gahn is just not actually that experienced. And in the experience he has had, he has really been able to rely on his, as I said, massive athletic advantages and a few weird tricks and there just genuinely aren't that many heavyweights who are really able to test him, particularly in training for him to be able to actually be punished for those deficits consistently enough to have to work on them and have to be able to stay composed when the few things that he likes doing stop working. I really wanted to pick against John Jones, so I did. But as I said last week, he's just a winner and he somehow figures it out always and in this fight he was just like you know what? i think this guy fucking sucks at wrestling i'm gonna go out wrestle him easily and he just did like there's a clip of cejudo basically saying the exact sequence because he trained jones uh in part for this fight it was basically the exact sequence that happened in the fight normally those videos are like haha that's who gives a shit but it was genuinely so, like a an important thing that they trained is up against the fence, not trying to hold on to Gon's legs and actually just stacking up and maintaining position over everything, and it'll just give you the choke. Yeah, we we really should have, like, you know, assumed that if it was going to get to any of those positions, there was going to be such a massive experience differential that mm-hmm. it, it was just going to be done so immediately. Yeah, the only thing I regret not mentioning as much was the fact that if John looks good, the fight's a wash. Like, there's no way Gon wins if, if John looks yeah, good. Yeah, I didn't expect him to look good. Yeah, I mean, he, he got a two-minute finish. Whatever, fine. The pick relied on John being as shot as he had appeared to be recently. 
and then yeah, a three-year layoff. Yeah, as shot as he was three years ago. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, he kind of looked as shot. Like I, I'm, I wouldn't be that surprised if uh, he was just like he just can't lose this fight. Kind of <laughs> like Gon's just not good <laughs> enough to be able to make this fight difficult if John's uh, put on the size appropriately. And I think John actually did really well packing on size. I, I also want to bring up his training partners that got kind of clowned on uh, before the fight, which justifiably so. Very weak fighters um, when it comes to quality. It was it was like Jorgen DeCastro, Maurice Green, and uh, like Walt Harris, which Walt Harris is actually a good fighter out of them, but all three of those fighters are people that you can just drill subbing over and over and over if you're John Jones level. So I'm assuming that most of his sparring for this fight was just going over, um, like defending, being really negative on the feet, and then getting a takedown off of a really like questionable decision on the feet uh, to to like just get behind him and then end on the ground, and then sub him as he stands up, because that's a reliable path to victory against Gon. Like if if he fights Aspinall soon, I would kind of expect that to be a a really high possibility of happening. Yeah, at least Aspinall can kind of actually grapple though. I wouldn't be surprised if Aspinall just like if it was a TKO from his like head literally just exploding at the sight of John Jones across the cage from him. Yeah, well, I, I mean Aspinall against Gone. Oh, like I, I think I think he would fuck up um, Gone really badly from that uh, similar position. And against John Jones, I think it's actually just a, a question of like effective size because Aspinall is. He seems like a smaller heavyweight, but he's really not. He's quite a large guy. Uh, he's he's really heavy walking around, and he's very athletic as well. He's very fast, and he can actually box. Like he's a he's a he's proven to be a, a deeper boxer than Gon. Most and of Gon's depth comes shit, from his kicks. And he can and he can offensively grapple, <laughs> and he's good in the clinch too. Yeah, he, he's just able to hang in more lanes. And John did look slow on the feet, like Looked very slow. Yeah. Even looked slow on the ground, kind of. It just didn't really matter. So yeah, that fight happened. Um, then in, in a way more interesting fight, um, Alexa Grasso fucking did the damn thing, submitted Valentina Shevchenko in the fourth round. And uh, Christian, you're more on just generally online than I am, so I'm gonna have to ask you: Have people already started? Uh, uh, Leon versus Usman Ng this fight where the narrative is just that Shevchenko was winning easily the whole time and lost off of a single moment late in the fight. Um, not that I've seen. It seems like a lot of people are just like, oh, Val's done. But I think Val looks like Val. She looked fine. I think she just got hit by some shit that she's always been hittable by and then put in a position she's always been able to get put in. It's one of those things that's hard to say when a... Uh, when a champion loses after such a long and dominant reign, is is any part of that just them aging out? And I, I tend to agree that Val mostly looked like herself, and just that Val has kind of always lacked depth in pretty much every area of her game. Um, but she plays the different phases off of her game off of each other very well. She's extremely disciplined and has always relied on. Um, massive athletic advantages, which must be dwindling as she approaches 35 and just is fighting 
uh, a higher level of both athlete and technician as the women's flyweight uh, division just improves in quality at the top end. And also, I think she's just relied massively on being a southpaw and the open stance. And there just hasn't really been an opponent who's been able to put any of those things together in a, into a winning performance. And um, I just think Alexa Grasso looked brilliantly well prepared to take advantage of all of those things. Um, she did a really good job just switching to southpaw and actually putting Val in the close stance where Grasso would uh, use her jab to draw out Val's check hook, which is just her main counter to everything as people are trying to engage pocket offense off with her and that she'll use to a reset to a long range where she can work at her kicking game and Alexa Grasso would just come over the top with with, with a nice uh, left straight as Valve squared up throwing the lead hook kind of uh, Usman Masvidal style um, she dinged Valentina several times with this and then kind of got a takedown towards the end of the first round to, to seal it but Val immediately got up against the cage and went for the head and arm throw that she loves to do and got her back taken at the end of the round. And Val was like, okay, this is stupid. i got to go win. And she just actually started trying to uh, shoot under Grasso's one-two and just be like, I'm not going to get ding doing the check hook. I'm not going to sacrifice throw myself. It was a competitive fight throughout because it was pretty much all Val whenever she was able to get it to the ground and Grasso wasn't really defending takedowns, but was just doing well in scrambles and still landed the exact left hand that she landed multiple times in the, in the first round, at least in the third, if not points in the second and fourth as well. And then, you know, something else that I'm glad that we shouted out was uh, Grasso's ability to take the back off of spinning moves in the way that she did against Joanne Wood. Um, I mean, that was a spinning back fist, but it's kind of just the same shit. You just step out to the side and while your opponent's turn, you jump on their fucking back and choke them. Yeah, it's 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 something you would expect a boxer with like a really good grappling game to catch on to. And both Moreno and Grasso have caught on to that. If someone gives your back or gives their back to you, take it. Like Even on the feet, it doesn't just have to be in a grappling scenario. If someone's spinning a bunch, you can just get behind them. Yeah, so close competitive fight throughout, and Val made decent adjustments after kind of getting fucked up in the first round. You just have to think that Grasso has been preparing for this fight as soon as she set her sights on being a full-time flyweight. And I've always just kind of been worried that she seems to be quite small and physically unassuming for this weight, but she's just like way stronger than she looks, and she's a great speed athlete and was just able to compete with Val in a lot of areas in a way that people wouldn't expect her to. I, I, I think with Valentina, like there is something to be said about her now being 35 and having been fighting since she was like a teenager because she has the kind of style that I think as she ages out, it's not going to be just like her suddenly getting her chin checked and just dying and having those kind of fights, I think it's just going to be her doing less and looking more and more tentative. And even though like her strikes still look fast, I think her reactions look markedly slower, even though part of that is, as I say, Grasso actually being close to speed parity with maybe even Valentina at her best. I don't know, what do you make of this fight, Christian? I was fucking amped. 
I was acting a fool when she got this up. No, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought that Val looked like Val, like I said earlier, but I think that Grasso looked better than she's ever looked. Her going to Southwell was actually the like neatest thing to me because she's not normally someone that's going to switch and then use like one read that only works on this stance because it, it's just kind of hard for her to get under Val's lead hook because Val kind of throws it low. So she couldn't just do the same thing from Orthodox comfortably. She actually had to like switch to Southpaw because the, the way that Val throws it is not as geared to handle someone that's Southpaw. Because has she ever fought a Southpaw ever or no. even really a good switch hitter? She has not. Uh, and, and Grosso isn't traditionally a, a, like a great switch hitter. She just kind of showed a little wrinkle to her game, which is nice, like, nice to see. I, I think it's neat that we have two 125 champs that are Mexican and box and do jujitsu. Just like a just like a weird synchronicity between them, uh, and I I think that Val is uh, gonna get smoked in the rematch. I think this like extra confidence is probably gonna make the the next fight way worse for Val because Val is not great at adjusting to things as is shown by the Amanda Nunes fight, the second one. Yeah, and I like it. It does weirdly kind of remind me of of the Leon Usman thing in the way that. Leon actually won the first round of that fight very strongly and then kind of lost but did okay in the middle rounds and then won off of just a single nice tactical read that was definitely like consistent and replicable late in the fight. I think I'm going to be picking the underdog that got the win in both rematches for the reason that just uh, I feel like the the previous reigning champ having to come back from that is just suddenly going to be so much more tentative about all of the stuff that they were doing that has worked for them throughout their career that they got punished horribly for. And that just opens up the other guy's game as well as having that confidence boost from knowing that they got the finish in the previous fight. Yeah, the fight was very cool, but uh, overall, it's actually not that much to talk about uh, compared to what I expected. The The fight was just kind of cut and dry. Like... <laughs> Not, nothing controversial happened. It was just both fighters looked fine. And then uh, Grasso won in a somewhat replicable way. It was a weird replicable way. but Because like, I don't think every time she'd get that choke. But she really worked the choke in. It started on the ch- on the jaw. And then she just like kept at it. Whereas normally people would give up on it. That's something Val hasn't really experienced. Anytime someone's tried to go for a uh, RNC. If it's not just immediately there. They give up on it, on it because they assume... Yeah, Tyler Santos and Jennifer Meyer were way more chill with just riding out the back control, whereas Grasso can actually like finish chokes, and she was able to like. There was a really nice uh, sequence where she scrambled free of um, Val trying to pass to a crucifix, and then came up on a clinch and dinged Val with a big old left hand on the clinch break. Yeah, I was I was impressed by uh, Grasso just being able to hang in the grappling so comfortably defensively. Even though she got taken down a ton when Val actually just started shooting and doing normal wrestling entries that actually work. I mean, there was another cool sequence where she, uh, where uh, Grasso gets taken down and then does a Gramby roll into an illegal grounded head kick. <laughs> Which is fucking sick. Badass. I don't know if she even meant to do it or if she just managed to play it off in a way that it just like looked like an accidental thing that happens in a scramble. It's great we have movement at 125 because um, Aaron Blanchfield actually looking good. Um, maybe she has to fight Manon Fioro if uh, 
if Val's getting an immediate rematch, but Val could also lose to Erin Blanchfield. Who who knows what will happen if she does get that rematch? So the this, this division is it's, it's getting interesting. Which we as I said, we are just seeing better athletes and technicians emerging as the division has had some time to grow the roster. In the tertiary main event, we had uh, Shavkat Rachmana versus Jeff Neal, which was fucking ill. Uh, Shavkat Rachmanov got the finish with uh, like about a minute left to spare, or, or less than a minute left to spare, which is incredibly impressive and goes to show why he has that 17-0 with all finishes record right now. He, he just goes for it even whenever he's ahead. Yeah, he hadn't even been to a third round before this fight. <laughs> and, I mean, the shit was an absolute fucking war. Like, I think it will really hold up as a fight of the year contender. And, I mean, this look, this fight really just goes to show that the UFC commentary team do even less research than we do. Because they're saying, oh, you know, does this fight really answer a lot of questions about Shavkat Rachmanov that we just haven't seen? And, like, Doug was 12 and 0 and a former M1 champ when he got to the UFC. And these are guys without Wikipedia pages, and it's not like I watch a ton of M1, but we know that those organizations in that part of the world with the culture of combat sports that they have out there just have a bunch of really good, well rounded athletic guys that we've never heard of. And Shavkat has been dropped and had to come back from adversity in fights before, and he's had to show what he can do in every area of the fight. Definitely um, was tested more than he had been at any any of those points in the past by Jeff Neal, who made a really good account of himself. Um, I think Jeff Neal's problems uh, really have come in fights where he's forced to track his opponent down. But against someone who is just so offensively minded and constantly engaging exchanges every range uh, Jeff Neal is it's, it's a very dangerous counter puncher off of his back foot he's really fucking tough and he's impossible to take down so uh, made for a great fight but showed everything you want to see in a like um, someone who has the potential to be a really great fighter um, uh, the first round also had uh, just a timeless a Herb Dean moment, but also was badass the fact that Shevkat lost his mouthpiece and Herb Dean did not notice for like several minutes to the point that the commentary team were like, oh my God, he hasn't noticed it. Oh my God, he's walking, he's going to step on it. Oh my God. Um, but Shevkat didn't give a fuck. He did not, there, there was no, oh, I'm going to I'm going to signal to the referee. And he, he just stayed in Jeff Neal's face and wasn't put off of his game at all. <laughs> And as you said, still pushing for the finish in a fight where he surely must have been up on the cards. But A, he had been dinged a bunch. He, there was, he, you should never fight like that. You should, like, unless it's been a complete shutout, you should never assume that you're just going to win if you've been in a war. And he, he wanted to keep the streak going. 17 and uh, I, I normally don't really care about like undefeated records and shit, but uh, 17 and 0 with all finishes, all pretty much a. Uh, pretty high level of MMA is badass. Yeah, finish ratio is way cooler than than like being undefeated to me. If a guy's got a few losses but he only has finish wins, then I'm going to be a big fan of that guy. And this guy is like Shavkat is straight up 
like the the best finisher the division ta- the division has had in so long. He's Kazakh Charles Oliveira. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anyone that's even on his level when it comes to like by this point in their career, uh, for for like finish ratio or like being this much of a like a known finishing threat. Because every- yeah, I mean the most recent one in mind is like Vicente Luque. Yeah, like every do. Du- Everyone I can think of really, like they have some decisions on their way up uh to like good fights, but Shavkat is just fucking taking out really good competition. Like and he hasn't been taking out like trash since he entered the UFC basically. He he's had a pretty steady level of competition be being decent since he made his UFC debut. Like Alex Oliveira, not a, a bad intro to the UFC. Like he, he's a good fighter. Michelle Perez is really good. Carlson Harris, underrated. Uh, Neil Magny, like also good. Then Jeff Neal, like it, it's a steady progression. He's fought better and better competition, but he, like he's always been fighting good fighters. And he's still getting finishes every time, and they're guys that aren't even particularly easy to finish. But Jeff Neal is anything but easy to finish. Yeah, Jeff Neal is about as hard to finish at, in the way that he got finished as anyone in the division. Yeah, but Shavkat just absolutely broke him down, and he didn't give it to him easy, but. Uh, he is just so offensively minded and so focused on ways that he can kill you in every engagement. And there is there's like a awesome fucking moment in I think like the second round, but he just eats the same straight left three times in a row from Jeff Neal, and then on like the fourth time he slips it and does like right uppercut to the body off of the slip, and then does like right uppercut upstairs into Glatt grabbing a collar tie, and then like a knee, and then like seven consecutive elbows. Yeah, he has the like ruthless finishing instinct that you really hope to see for someone that's as uh, like reliant on a finish as he is. He hasn't had a fight where he's slipping behind. Like he has a pretty dominant style overall. Where if if his style is working at all, he's winning very like clearly. Um, but it, yeah, it, because you know he's he's all about just like volume and aggression in every phase. Does really nice body work. He's nasty in the clinch. He's nasty from top. Yeah, he, uh, he's so violent. He's kind of like just a part of the archetype for fighters that I look for whenever I'm trying to find someone that I'm going to be like really hyped for uh, up and coming. Like he reminds me a lot of uh, what it seemed like Yan was going to be, like Piotr Yan. It seemed like he was going to be this like ruthless finishing monster coming up, and he just had like a couple hiccups where the the guy was just really durable, um, like the Jinsu Sun fight. But then he just goes on to like fizzle out in his recent career. Whereas I don't think that's gonna happen for Shavkat. I think Shavkat when he hits a wall, it's gonna be him getting knocked the fuck out, which is it's gonna like, happen. It's gonna happen eventually, and that's sick. I love that. Uh, I love fighters where you know that the way that they fight is not sustainable. Because it means that anytime the drop's going to happen. But he's young as hell, and he hasn't taken much damage, and he has a very good style for maintaining a career long term. And I could also see how he could adjust his style into being less of a finisher later on. Uh, if he just gets like a little bit better, I think he could just like control people uh, with, with like range tools and really good like grappling threat. Like he he has a very composed game. It just makes sense uh, in the in the context of his like frame, his athleticism, and even the the like meta of the division. So who do you want to see him fight now? I mean, I say Luke for everyone is is the issue. 
uh, like if you ask me who basically anyone that that looks good at welterweight should fight, it's Luke. But I'm gonna say like Michael well, Chiesa. the shot Vicente Luke test. Oh, Michael Chiesa, that's me. Yeah, but like Michael Chiesa. And he also should be ranked way ahead of Michael Chiesa at this point. He should be, but I think there's nothing wrong with viewing him like his first actual step back now, instead of just like ramping up the competition, ramping it up. Because I want to see him develop like slightly more. Mostly, I just want to see him grapple someone whose only thing is grappling, and is like quite large. Because to this point, we've seen him fight people that are either large and in decent at grappling, or uh, not insanely large, but like quite like competent grapplers, or like yeah, like Jeff Neal is is just a good defensive grappler, and then he got subbed standing up. So I, I want to see him against someone like Kiesa or Tom Brady or <laughs> Tom Brady, Sean Brady. Yeah, I mean Shavkat versus Sean Brady is an absolute slaughter. Yeah, but it is it is like the type of thing that I need to see. I need to see him against a concerted grappling artist rather than just mostly strikers that he can grapple with. He's he's looking for that title shot. He, he also talked about Colby Covington, which would love to see. Colby Covington's not going to take that fight. Yeah, Colby Covington, also another example someone I want to see him fight, because I don't think the striking is going to be a difficulty for him at all, but he's really hittable, so he could probably get like spinning backfisted a few times by Colby. And then uh, whenever they're grappling, it would just be like... Uh, really heavy scrambles, and then maybe Colby gets subbed in transition or Shavkat gases. Maybe. So, really, any any permutation of that fight is going to teach us something about Shavkat. He's either him, or he's he's just still really good. Yeah. would also love to see him fight Chimaev. Who yeah. the fuck knows what Chimaev's doing right now. I think the actual most likely fight, and the one I'd really like to see, is um, assuming uh, Gilbert Burns beats Jorge Masvidal. I, I, th- I think that's a great fight. I think you can give him the winner or the loser of that fight. It's honestly like pretty informative. Yeah, pretty much. Because like Mazadal is is past it, but it's still impressive if you could like beat him well. Uh, and and then we had Mateusz Gamrot winning a decision over Jalen Turner, and the decision I do not think was awful. I just think it was questionable. I think most of Turner's offense was actually just like I think he did more under the scoring criteria to win. But I I wasn't surprised that the decision went to Gamrot. No, I expected the the decision to go to Gamrot because I mean it's something we probably yeah should have assumed was that if Gamrot was able to actually get any positions on Turner, Turner just doesn't have much off of his back. He's not a great scrambler past just the first layer of his takedown defense, which looked pretty good in spots. And he did land some nice intercepting counter knees and stuff like this. And whenever they were in protracted striking exchanges and he was actually able to work his reach, he did ding Gamrot in pretty much every round. But he was just so inert off of his back whenever he did give up takedowns. And you just you can't give Mateusz Gamrot that kind of fight because he gets hurt, but he's insanely tough and he always is trying to push his kind of the, the kind of fight that favors him. Yeah, he's just a uh like weird decision machine. He's a gamer, dude. Yeah, he he straight up is winning on technicalities <laughs> pretty much. It's just like, oh yeah, I mean like he he probably lost, but like he he won more of the seconds of of the fight just by being on top. 
or like trying to be on top. Because he definitely lost to Armin Sarukia. Yeah, he definitely lost Armin Sarukia. And then this fight, I think, is less egregious just because there was uh, it's a three rounder, so it's gonna have less rounds that you can rob in. But uh, I, I think you could argue three zero for Jalen Turner. So, and you definitely cannot argue that for Gamrot. He got kind of fucked up pretty badly at at multiple points throughout the fight. So, I don't really really know what to do. I think they should just make the fight that Jalen Turner was going to fight initially, the the Dan Hooker matchup, so he can just go on his streak of killing city kickboxing guys. Yeah, I I think that, and then I think Gamrot should fight a step up, because if you're going to keep getting these weird decisions then you just got to keep fighting steps up and he actually fought a step down, which is weird. Um, it's like, it basically like uh, he, he lost to Benny like clearly, but the, he shouldn't have even gotten the fight with Benny based off of the, the Sarukian fight. So I think we should do that again. Be like, okay, he just beat someone at the opposite end of the spectrum. He, he initially won a robbery over a stocky wrestle boxer. And then he just won a questionable decision over a lanky, uh, like power striker. So now we give him fucking, I don't know, like Michael Chandler. After the the Connor fight, of course. Is Demirish Magulov even still fighting? No, I believe he retired. In that case, maybe Hanato Moicano. That's a weird one. I that's like almost a mirror match. But like each guy is a bit better in the in like one area. Like I mean, just they're like roughly the same frame, kind of fucky strikers. But like Moikano's a way cleaner uh, boxer and like kicker. Uh, but Gamrot's got just like more raw athleticism on the feet. And then in the grappling, Moikano's a bit better at applying submissions in, in uh, like for MMA. But I think that. Uh, Gamrot's just a deeper grappler. So it's kind of neat. I think that that would be good. Yeah, it's a fair fair call. He he shouldn't be fighting uh the elite of the elite because he's he's not really like winning these fights all that convincingly. Yeah, and then to open the card, uh we had Bonecle versus Jamie Pickett. A Bonecle won easily, of course. Yeah, um, um, big surprise. He still kind of showed his greenness in ways that he maybe could have been punished for against opponents that aren't Jamie Pickett, but this is his fourth pro MMA fight, so it is what it is. Yeah, Maybe give him a fight before he fights Brad Tavares. At least, because um, he just came out, threw a big old kick, fell over. He was like, right, that was fucking stupid, just like came up on a shot, got a bone down easily, passed to an arm triangle, and then kind of didn't have great finishing technique on his arm triangle, but Jamie Pickett just had no real urgency about actually escaping the position and just gave Bo Nickel all the time that he needed to just squeeze the shit out of it, even though he wasn't really doing the stuff he needed to like, um, like, like get his leg clear of Pickett's half guard and sink his hips and stuff. So there's still clearly some developing that's going on. He, I don't, I don't think he's just going to easily run through everyone in the division. I think Brad Tavares is actually like really fucking hard for him. Yeah, just someone that has anti wrestling tools 
and isn't just relying on being able to defend takedowns because I think pretty much everyone in the division that has to rely on their takedown defense exclusively uh, is fucked against him. But uh, someone like Brad Tavares, or if he gets even farther along, Robert Whitaker, that isn't just a raw takedown defense threat, but also has anti-takedown tools like you know good footwork, uh, good like strike selection to make wrestling harder, uh, like their their own athletic horsepower to just handle the situations, really good jujitsu to, to like navigate any situations where Bo can just like easily fuck them up with the wrestling exchanges. I think Brad Devar is basically the only guy on the way to those fights. There could be difficulty in Brad Devar's shot, so it's hard to say. But it seems like his take on defense is not shot. So I'm expecting that if he fought uh, Bo Nickel, he's the type of fighter that can actually make Bo have some real difficulty uh, this early in his career. I think you give him a little bit more seasoning, and then he can handle anyone who's who has to rely on uh, defending takedowns and striking with him. Yep, and um, then... We'll do the quick hits on the prelims since we uh, want to get to this fight night card. Uh, I missed Cody Garbrandt versus Trevin Jones. What happened? Um, Cody Garbrandt looked absolutely fantastic for two rounds. Uh, he was like just being a he was being aggressive, but he wasn't being so aggressive that he was going to walk onto a counter. He was more just like being fast and like demonstrating how fast he is over and over to to keep Trevin Jones scared. And anytime Trevor Jones actually committed to an exchange, Cody dipped out of the exchange and got a gorgeous takedown. Uh, his takedowns look fantastic. He's always had really good takedowns. He just doesn't really go to them as much as you'd like him to. He, he went to them some of the Rob Font fight, but he, then he wore down from the striking. And in this fight, he didn't really get worn down by the striking because he was allowed to set the pace. Uh, his footwork looked really nice. He just stays on the outside. Uh, like effectively and he's good at uh reading your movements then mirroring them so that he can stay away <laughs> but then in the third round it seemed like he just knew he was up to super cleanly so he just coasted and then gave trevin jones an in when trevin jones had previously been pretty much fainted into passivity uh trevin jones just wasn't attacking the first two rounds because cody was always showing how fast he is and anytime trevin actually committed to anything he was shown a wrestling threat that he was not prepared to handle so then in the third round whenever cody actually starts moving backwards trevin had a first couple minutes where he was like i don't know what to do because this guy is now fighting completely different and he was easily fucking me up before so i got to like figure out something to do and then eventually he just uh like fainted a little and then blasted a, a power hook and it caught Cody circling. And then Cody looked like he was about to get wobbled. Like he was like a little wobbly off of it. And then immediately was just like, okay, nope, I got to stall better. He didn't decide I need to get aggressive, which is important because it, had he done that, he probably would have just gotten finished the way that he did in, you know, the Pedro Munoz fight where he gets cracked and then he's, he gets angry about it. He didn't get angry about it, which shows character growth on his end. He he was just like, no, I need to stall better so that he, he got close whenever he needed to get close. He stayed farther away than he was previously staying. He, he just honed in on uh, his ring craft a lot better. And then got the rest of the fight pretty cleanly, even with Trevor Jones going for more offense. And it was a really clear 29-28 for Garbrandt. So good things were shown for Cody uh, relative to what I was expecting, but in hindsight, it's a former world champion versus a guy that's 13 and 10. And it is like 
very green and doesn't even have a good style matchup aside from hitting hard. And at least this fight taught us hitting hard, not enough to like make Cody Garbrandt look bad. Cody Garbrandt is still fast as fucking hell and a really, really like good grappler. And his, his, there's a reason that he was so dangerous on the feet. He's, he's fucking lightning fast. His hands are, he has like pretty good like technique on his hands and he has really fast reactions. He's just a bad decision maker. So as long as he is being forced to stay incredibly disciplined, you don't even have to worry about his bad decisions because he doesn't have any decisions to make. Yep. Oh uh, yeah. Drikas Duplessis and Derek Brunson had the silliest scrambles I've ever seen for a round. Um, Derek Brunson kind of showed that he was just better at MMA, but he gassed out and Drikas Duplessis just always has a second win and he tries really fucking hard and ended up on top and just blasting Derek Brunson from his guard. And it was uh, an exhaustion TKO more than anything, but I mean, it was also Derek Brunson's corner that stopped the fight. And I don't feel like this should be a thing that I feel like I have to praise as much as I do, but fucking good for Derek Brunson's corner for knowing that the round was about to end and not giving a shit and just being like, look, Ferb Dean's not going to stop this. I'm just going to throw this here towel in. Because, like, how many MMA coaches do you think would have been like, oh, shit, he can make it he, he, can, he can make it through this round, oh, and then, you know, maybe we can get in there, we can try and pick him up. You know, I can think of multiple examples of this literally yeah, happening. I mean, he, he basically did make it through the round, and then they threw the towel in. They were just like, nah, he's done. And I also want to give even more credit to Derek Brunson than we're giving to his corner, because... It's especially rare for a fighter to be like, you know what? That was a good call. Thanks, corner. Most fighters would be like, you know what? I'm firing everyone I work with and moving to a different gym. Which is just like the wrong thing to do. Uh, Derek Brunson was very mature about the situation. You could like he he's a veteran, not just in his ability to try and uh, get a fight to work for him, but also in just like the the outside of fighting practices like he he's been training people for a long time he has his own gym he gets that if i'm getting fucked up i need to i need someone to stop it for me that there's a reason that quarter stoppages are allowed it seems like most fighters in mma uh at this point just kind of don't even understand the point of corner stoppages they think oh it's just a way to make the action slow down or boring or it's just a way for people to be cowards but no it's it's because fighting is incredibly dangerous you are uh, for all intents and purposes, you are trying to kill someone in, in a cage with the caveat that there is a referee and then your corner to stop there. But the corner is the, is like a the last safeguard to stop you from getting murdered if the referee isn't doing their job. And, and then uh, the referee is sometimes just going to be really use, useless in MMA and was kind of being useless because you could have stopped the fight at multiple times on the feet throughout the fight. So if the referee's not going to stop it, the corner has to stop it. If the corner won't stop it, the fighter has to stop it. And all three levels of that like chain of command almost for stopping a fight are heavily criticized if the f- fighter's side decides to stop fighting, which is not how it should be. You should be allowed to be like, you know what, I'm done. I'm, I'm getting fucked up without judgment. And they won't even let other people make that decision for you without calling you a pussy. So I- I'm glad that it's happening more where fighters are are getting the fight stopped and then not complaining about it, but it's still not enough. And there's still fighters like Lauren Murphy who are going to like staunchly defend their corner for letting them die. Yeah. Or like, remember when pretty much this exact thing happened at the end of 
whatever round it was in Thiago Santos versus um, Eric Anders. And Eric Anders' corner was literally trying to like pick him up and do CPR on him between rounds. Yeah, it's it's disgusting. Like I feel like MMA being a newish sport matters less than the fact the fans are newer to combat sports. Any boxing head that watches MMA is like, oh yeah, quarter stoppage, cool. That shit happens. Yeah, well, and just the fact that it's a sport that developed so much from like just stupid tough guy culture. Too, and, and, and I think so much of it is just MMA fans not having experienced like a fighter that they know of dying in a fight. Like it just doesn't happen. Whereas if you watched boxing through the fucking twenties to to like eighties, people died that like anyone who watched boxing would have heard of. You, you know, like you're you're gonna know of people who have died in in fighting whereas in mma people just don't really know about it like you gotta go look to the amateurs or like really low level orgs to find anyone who's died of note in a fight yeah and also a thing that boxing has that mma kind of doesn't have yet is just old fucking men just boomers who have been around and seen everything and don't give a fuck what you think um and just generally the refing on this card was fucking terrible all night egregious stand-ups and clinch breaks all over the place from different refs to the point that it seems like it must be a thing that somebody is pushing somewhere because i can never you know i I remember cases of like a ref in a notable fight being criticized for things like this but i don't think i've ever just seen it be this consistent throughout an entire event like you know mark andre barrio was just blasting julian marquez for like two or three straight minutes of him just being curled up and not answering anything. I don't, I don't know what was going on. Yeah, and it's also weird because I want to give Mark andre Barrio credit for his finishing instincts there. He didn't separate and just start unloading. He like got his head pinned to Julian Marquez's head and then just started fucking doing like pitter-patter shots on his head because he had the fight won. He only had to maintain his lead. He didn't have to push it at all. But a slight issue there is not pushing it. Almost let the referee's incompetence uh, lose him. Uh, not lose him, but uh, let the fight go on longer than it had to. He, he just wasn't going to stop punching, and Julian Marquez wasn't going to come back from it. <laughs> no, he was never going to come back from it. Uh, but there, I think there's something to be said for having, like, finishing finishing instincts rather than like just maintaining your finish that you've already gotten but honestly we shouldn't even have to talk about that because the referee should have just fucking stopped the fight when it was appropriate to so i'm not really gonna get into the pedantics of oh his finish wasn't good enough to like get a real finish so he had to get the referee to pull him off really like julian marquez is just doing he's just trying his, his best there like he he is getting fucked up, but he wasn't getting like murdered, murdered. He was it was just so long. He was, he was cooked. Yeah. Uh, it, it was just a bad referee moment as MMA is known to do almost every card. Yeah. But then, um, Ian Gary, I had a fight with Sonkin on. It was, it was a pretty cool fight. Ian Gary got dropped in the first round with like a left hook or some shit. Um, but he, Guys shit together and he made adjustments and um I don't I don't mind Ian Gary as a fighter. 
I mean, he is an annoying cringe lord, and people clown him about just the like weird Conor McGregor wannabe stuff. But if you just ignore all of that stuff, it's, just, it's got a lot of stuff going for him that Conor McGregor doesn't. Uh, it's great conditioning. He's really consistent. He's mentally stronger. Yeah, he, he doesn't tilt. He has heart. Uh, he can fight in the close stance. He can fight off the back foot. He's just like a, a, a decent, consistent, ranged kickboxer. He he has a very youthful spirit to him that makes it feel like he's too naive to give up. A lot of fighters his age would have been like, ah, I got hurt. Shit, time to crumble under the first like, like bad thing that happens to me in a fight. But no, nah, he was like, eh, shit happens. And like even in his corner, he was like so like cool about it. He he didn't overreact at all. He was like, eh, I got hurt. Yeah, shit happens. And then in the uh, when the commentator asked him a question after the fight, he was like, eh, yeah, shit happens. Which is exactly what to say there. He got dropped in one of his like four fights in the UFC now. That's a good ratio if you're fighting elite competition and you're this young in your career and you're still trying to build your skill set and you're getting uh, progressively more and more step-ups. Like These aren't huge step-ups, but these are marginally better opponents. Yeah, it was fun when he landed a good low kick and then just wooed and then went out and did a finishing sequence. Yeah, he has has heart and he has like... He doesn't have charisma. No, he does not. I, I am, he, he, he does not have charisma. They need to stop trying to give him mic time. Just watch his fights and say that he's Irish. All you gotta do. Like, that's, that's all you gotta do. Uh, but then in uh, other news, we had um, uh, we had Ahmed Hivas versus Viviane Rujo. Oh yeah, I missed that. Yeah, uh, Viviane looked not great. And Ahmed Hivas had... Uh, really poor boxing, but still won cleanly uh, and got a knockdown in the second round and then just won by being on top for the uh, rest of the fight, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pretty much missed everything else that happened other than Tabitha Ricci hitting a sick far side arm bar on Jessica Penne. Anything cool on the rest of the card? Uh, Luik Radzabov versus Esteban Rivovix. Uh It was really good. Anyone who hasn't watched should watch it. And Damon Blackshear versus Fareed Basharat both tried really hard. And in showed like some decent, uh, nice little skills that if you are a fan of interesting grappling exchanges or uh, like outfighter versus pressure fighter dynamics, then it's a good fight to watch. Cool. Okay, so uh, card we got coming up this weekend. Pretty strong main event. Top five bantamweights. Can't go wrong. We got Piotr Jan taking on Marab Dvalashvili. Interesting fight. Does seem pretty rough for Marab in most like skill matchup respects. I just don't know what's going on with Piotr Jan right now and how he's going to approach this fight because Marab Dvalashvili, um, he's kind of Clay Guida. Is that fair? Yeah. I, no, I think, about it. I think it's just going to be the Magomed Magomedov fight. I think he's just going to win pretty comfortably and beat the shit out of uh, Marab. I mean, he really should because Marab, you know, he he tries super hard. He has absolutely bonkers conditioning. Like he just he just will not get tired. He just puts one hundred percent effort into everything, and he can get some good takedowns just by hossing people around. But he, he's like famous for just not really having a top game and 
not being positionally aware and just letting scrambles happen over and over again. You know, there's a reason that he has like the most takedowns in bantamweight history by like a pretty wide margin. If that's what your game relies on, then you shouldn't need to get that many takedowns in a fight. Um, but it's always good for optics, and he's just always doing stuff and moving around in silly ways and wins on optics in that way, uh, much like Clay Guida. And kind of all of his highest quality wins have come against a variety of pretty shot people, and most of them were like kind of absolute stinkers, apart from the Marlon Marias one where he got knocked out and then... Marias gassed and Marab was just fine and 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 he won but like the John Dodson and Jose Aldo fights were incredibly thin margins where Marab won on just not doing much other than like knees to the ass in the clinch and youthful exuberance yeah I, I think I'm I've come to a conclusion with Yan where I'm just gonna pick his fights correctly and until like the way that you should pick them based off of skill set matchups rather than like thinking about where he's at. Well, but that's what we did against Sean O'Malley. Yeah, but I'm just going to keep doing that. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong because he should be able to win this matchup very cleanly in the same way. He should have been able to win the Sean O'Malley fight really cleanly. I don't know whether he really could have beat uh, Aljamain Sterling in the second fight. It was that was still very close and relied on two key moments where Aljamain Sterling was able to capitalize on like a marginal blind spot in Piotian's defensive grappling and scrambling ability in a way that Marab Dvalashvili is not technically poised to in the same way as Aljamain Sterling is in terms of his like actual positional controlling ability even though Marab Dvalashvili he of course is a training partner of Aljamain Sterling and comes into these kind of fights incredibly well prepared I just Piotian can't you know also has insane conditioning he's really difficult to actually hurt he's a, like other than the two takedowns he gave up that lost him the Aljamain Sterling fight on 10 minutes of back control he is a remarkable takedown defender and scrambler it just it it doesn't seem like Morab just trying really hard it, it is going to be enough in this one does it you know, like he maybe lost to Cody's statement. Yeah, it feels like he uh, should have no business winning. But uh, I, I did initially want to pick Marab just off of him, uh, him being reliable, and Yan not really being reliable. Feels like Yan has lost uh, two fights consecutively, where it's a fight that he really should win. Uh, I think you mean three. Oh yeah, yeah, because the the illegal, but but yeah, the, yeah, the Sandhagen fight between that at least. Oh yeah, where, where he looked good. Um, but like the Sandhagen fight's the last fight, he looked like Yan, and it was like maybe the best performance of his career. So it's just very strange. Uh, on any night, it could be like we're about to see one of the the like pound for pound best fighters in the sport look as good as he he can look, or we're gonna see. Uh, someone show off some really nice technique, but then just completely shit the bed and uh, drop decision. Like even in the Aljamain Sterling fight, he did some stuff that looked nice. It, it just was for nothing. So I'm gonna pick Yan by basically having the Magomed Magomedov fight 
but against someone with like a worse yeah, time. Yeah, but I'm also going to pick him to knock Rob out in like the fourth round. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking that or maybe like a second round finish because he is able to actually put some steam on stuff early if if given the opportunity to. He's not. That is true. If his offense is working, and if Marab isn't able to kind of just get any of his magic going, it, it it might just the fight might just get real ugly for him a lot quicker than that. And yeah, might need not even have to spend the full five breaking him down. Yeah, if he can't stall Yan long enough to where Yan needs an attrition lead to to be able to actually get a finish, then it's possible he just kind of has like a bit of the Uriah Faber fight where he. Uh, gets any time separate on the feet and then just starts fucking smoking. Because he, he's a clean counterpuncher. He has, like, really hard offense. I, I use counterpuncher lightly because he's not a counterpuncher in the traditional sense. But, like, he, he could bait out a jab and then, like, cross-counter it. And Marab has a pretty... Uh, not lazy. There's nothing lazy about his style. But defensively, it's it's a pretty lazy jab. So, Marab actually does have the ability to win if he can just uh, kind of, like, stifle Yan from getting anything going. Yan does not like having his momentum broken, and he's not as good as you would hope someone of his skill depth to be if you start to disrupt his offense. Like, Aljamain Sterling, if he had gotten one less, uh, like, really clutch, uh, like, back take in their second fight, he probably would have gotten like finished. So it, it, it's just, it's hard to pick Yan fights at this point for accuracy. You more just have to go, you just have to lay out everything that could happen and hope that one of those things happens. But even then the, the chance of Yan just illegally being Marab is actually quite high. Oh, it is really is. Anytime he fights a grappler from now on, and this is going to happen. If you, you fuck yourself out of a title win, uh, where you just illegally knee someone, eventually you you might just do it again. Uh, I'm not going to trust you forever. No, and Yan gets really mad in fights, and Marab fights in a really annoying way. He fucking illegally struck Magomed Magomedov in like his fifth fight. Mm-hmm. Like he he got his his first loss, and then it was like fuck you, I'm I'm gonna beat your ass, and he beats shit out of him. And then while he was winning dominantly, he cheated and almost like got the fight lost. Can you do it in both fights? I believe so. I think he might have lost a point in the first fight. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he's just not, uh, he's more violent than he is smart. He, he, he wants to fuck someone up more than he wants to win the fight. It seems like, uh, yeah, I'm sure if Corey Sandhagen had given him any opportunity to actually cheat meaningfully, he would have taken it. But, uh, you, you have to stay very safe because Yan's not going to let the rules get in between a good shot. I think the fact that um, Rob doesn't really stand his knees like that is probably going to save him. Unless maybe he just gets elbowed in the back of the head or something. That's that's a real possibility. Elbowed in the back of the head, uh, eye pokes are live. Uh, cage grabs, almost certainly going to be a fuckload of cage grabs. I, I think that's actually my most confident pick. I would say Yan is going to lose a point to cage grabbing. Um, the rest of this card... It's pretty okay. There's a couple of kind of wacky upper weight fights on the on the upper on the top end of the card, as there always is. Co-main event got uh, Romanov versus Volkov at heavyweight. Um, 
I mean, Rovanov will probably like throw Volkov around uh, like a wet dish towel and then get gassed and kind of bopped up from range. Yeah, I'd be more inclined to believe that that's what's going to happen if it wasn't three rounds. I think Romanov might just flat out win. He might. Like, if he gets on top once, the fight just might be over. So, yeah, that's true. I think I'm going to pick Romanov by finish. I, I, I'm going to pick him by Mother's Milk. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why I'm feeling Volkov in this one. It's he, possible. He's just, he's, just he's, he's huge and really consistent. And then a uh, fight been rebooked uh, that we didn't get to talk about a couple of weeks ago, Nikita Krilov versus Brian Spann. I am picking Nikita Krilov, even though he just had horrible food poisoning, because uh, he tries really hard. He's really aggressive. He's r- really tough. He has a, an insane chin. And he's just he's going to kick the shit out of Ryan Spann and then take him down. Yeah, I believe it's at a catch rate of 215, which is strange. Quite strange. Uh, I'm I'm gonna pick my initial pick as well, which is Nikita Krilov. But also Ryan Spawn might just be able to ding uh, Nikita Krilov on the chin. It seems like Spawn's found his power because he's always like been able to hit hard. He just couldn't really get the shots off, and now he's able to just just put like get the punch out, which is important. Yeah, he's maybe looking less confused and terrified at every moment of a fight, which could be good for him here. Yeah, and but, he's 31, so he's basically entering his prime for a light heavyweight. But, you know, Nikita Krylov's still never really been knocked out. Nah, but... He got, he got like, exhaustion TKO uh, heavyweight, but... Yeah, he's never really been knocked out, but I, I could see him just, like, eating shit really bad. I see him just, like, running into a power jab and getting fucked up. I think if he gets hurt, he probably just gets guillotined or something. I don't think the chances of him getting knocked out are very high, but I think the chances of him getting, uh, like club and subbed, aren't that aren't that low. Yeah, I mean Ryan Span can do a guillotine, and sometimes Nicky Krills gets subbed in really silly ways. Yeah, like he got a guillotine win and then he got a power jab win, so now he's due for a power jab into a guillotine win. I'm still picking Nicky Krills. Yeah, and they say like probably like ground and pound stoppage, probably like probably in the first round. To be honest, yeah, I'll say second round. Uh, and then we got Ricardo Hamos versus Austin Lingo. That should be all right. Like, I, don't, I don't really remember what Austin Lingo does. Ricardo Hamos is probably going to land a spinning elbow at some point. Side Nurmagomedov versus Jonathan Martinez. Actually, really cool fight. Maybe the best fight of the card. Maybe it'll it'll be interesting to see how the kicking dynamic works out. Both very yeah. different types of kickers. Yeah, uh, surprising matchmaking considering that like Saeed has kind of not been getting the love from the matchmakers in the way that you might expect and has just been fighting really tough guys who not that many people really know about. Jonathan Martinez just got Cub Swanson. Um, But I I don't know that any guy is really trying to be set up for a good win here. This just seems like like a really solid competitive fight. Saeed the Magomedov you would assume would have a pretty dramatic grappling advantage but he's generally pretty lackadaisical about actually enforcing it in fights generally likes to do spinning kicks from range Jonathan Martinez is a pretty sharp ranged kickboxer he also just has good anti-wrestling tools on the feet um, should be really interesting yeah the the way the dynamic works out will be strange Jonathan Martinez is not really going to give his neck up as much as 
uh, Saeed would hope. But there are situations where I can imagine Saeed getting something slick off in in a exchange. Like if he just catches a kick of Martinez's and then Martinez falls over and then like sits up into a guillotine, that'd be rough. But yeah, Saeed has a lightning ninja choke. Yeah, and and in the same vein, I could also see Saeed getting like clanged by Martinez's very like off. Here's this is a very odd boxing game where it's like it's not good, but it has some really neat tricks to it that are quite good. Like the way his his right hand is like kind of slappy, or the way that his jab comes in, just very just very strange. And it's something that Said is kind of particular particularly liable to. I think just with the way that he keeps his guard and uh, like how he he prefers to set the timing or, or like establish his own rhythm. So Martinez just he he has some good tools in the feet to actually get things done, but I am going to pick Saeed by submission at some point. Also, wouldn't be surprised if Saeed walks Martinez onto a lead hook or something. Yeah, very possible. So is this Southpaw versus Southpaw? Now that I think about it, I believe so. So that's that, that's also an interesting dynamic. I do think when they're at range, Martinez is just the more he's just a craftier, sharper ranged kicker. And Saeed's legs. Legs are open to getting kicked. Yeah, I, I can see him get, getting kicked out when he's looking to spin a bunch. But uh, yeah, I, I do think in those transitions that Said is just going to be supremely dangerous with the submission on threat. Yeah, and then uh, we have Rafael Sunsau versus Davy Grant. Weird fight. I don't know how I feel about it. Rafael uh, Sunsau should win easily, even though he's been looking kind of shot, but. Um, you know, he was getting finished by like, like super athletic top contenders at bantamweight, and then I thought I had an absolutely incredible like veteran performance against um, Victor Henry, who we were super hype about and still are. He's a good fighter. Uh, uh, Sunsau kind of, kind of just dog walked him. Had a classic performance where his defense and ring craft looked really sharp, and he had good counter punching, um, and he's just like. You know, he 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 has a style that allowed him to cling to the top end of bantamweight and wait for such a long time, even when the matchmakers clearly weren't interested. Um, and Davy Grant, a ton of fun, great action fighter, sneaky, very good grappler. Um, he really should just lose to a Sun Sound unless he hits him with something really silly that the Sun Sound just doesn't see coming because he's old and slow. Yeah, it's a journeyman veteran versus like a elite fighter veteran. So it's just very hard to not want to pick a sunset by like a wide decision. But I'm gonna pick Davy Grant. Do you think there's something to Davy Grant's offense being kind of just weird and wonky enough to actually throw off a sunset's very nuts and bolts uh, striking defense? Yeah, I think Asun Sao, if he was in his prime, he would just like spark Davy Grant by being fast enough to react to Davy Grant's really weird, wonky windups. I'm more just picking Davy Grant to be closer to his prime than Asun Sao is. And the matchup just leads heavily towards Asun Sao winning, just like on pure skill matchup. But Davy Grant has some wonky shit where his kicks are really powerful. He's kind of long. His punches come at a weird rhythm. It also angle and you can't read them as well because he just 
throws them fuckily. So I could just see that being the kind of thing that annoys a old MMA striker. But I do think Asuncao probably has the depth to just be like, this guy's striking's stupid. I'm, I'm not going to get hurt by it. Yeah, and um, while I think Davy Grant could maybe hang in there with some scrambles, I think if, if Asuncao is able to get it to the ground, he sh- should kind of still be able to just smother Davy Grant from top and stop him really from getting anything done. Yeah, Sunset's good at entering takedown situations or grappling situations from a good spot. He's not just going to take him down. They have to work through uh, David Grant's guard to like get where he wants to be. He'll just take him down and be where he wants to be. <laughs> I'm just I'm actually going to pick a Sunset by knockout. Fuck it. That's fair. Uh, I, the, the way that David Grant like leaves his guard so open whenever he starts punching just makes me think he might get dinged really badly, like repeatedly. Asuncao's counter right hand looked as sharp as it had basically ever been against Victor Henry. And D- David Grant's he he he's a fucking wild man, but he he's not as like uh just immortal and unflappable as Victor Henry is. Um so speaking of Victor Henry, he's fighting Tony Gravely. That fight's pretty cool. That is a neat fight. I I think that Victor Henry should win pretty comfortably on uh, like effective experience, like it seems like they have uh, roughly the same fights, and they kind of do uh, when it comes to like amount of fights had. But Victor Henry's experience, he just feels like more of a veteran to me. Yeah, and it does seem like he he can do a lot of what Javid Basharat was kind of able to do to uh, Tony Gravley in terms of just like keeping him on his bike, keeping him on the end of a ton of volume, just being tough as shit, uh, and just and just keeping a high work rate, which. Victor Henry is really good at. Yeah, he can keep a high work rate, and he's also better in the clinch than Basharat. And definitely, that, that that was one thing I was going to say that he hasn't going for him. That Basharat didn't in that fight, and he's just like a more cultured, like anti wrestler whenever he has to be than Basharat is. Basharat's still kind of green in that regard, whereas, uh, you know, Victor Henry's is pretty tested. I think that if Gravely can get good positions. With like in the later half of the fight, then he might be able to just rely on Victor Henry thinking he's more ahead than he is. But Victor Henry's also pretty urgent, so depending on uh, how he's feeling on the night, he he's he's very much a vibes fighter. I feel like if he's having a really good night, he can hang in there with basically anyone. But if he's having a slightly off night, like I do think he was kind of having against Asuncao, then just a really good performance uh, is gonna outdo his depth that's fair um yeah there's like there's still some other fights that are okay on this card yeah uh jj Aldridge versus ariana lipsky is neat tyson Nob versus bruno silva should be fun i do think that fight has potential to be really bad <laughs> yeah it could you're two counter punches you know how these ones go in mma uh mario batista versus guido canetti should honestly be a banger i agree um, fuck it, that'll do. Let's get out of here. Uh, as always, if you enjoyed this content, all the other great stuff that the fight side puts out, please consider support, supporting us on Patreon. Pledge of just five dollars gains access to a huge library of really great quality analytical content and a Discord server where we have a great community, cool fight fans, we're fun to talk to. You can hang out with staff and ask us questions and shit. Uh, this has been the Forbidden Technique podcast. Uh, 
hopefully we'll be, able, we'll be able to catch you next week, talk about any cool shit that happens on this card, and uh, start getting into the next UFC pay-per-view headlined by uh, the title rematch between Liam Edwards and Kamar Usman. Should be interesting. Uh, yeah, we'll catch you guys for that. Peace. Later. Later.